Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So who can guess what my opening line is of my sermon? Hello, beautiful people of Doxedo Hatfield. Um, it started just as a thing, and now if it doesn't happen, I see people looking at me sadly. Yes, you are still beautiful. So, uh, hello, beautiful people of Doxedo Hatfield. It is a great privilege to be able to share in the Word with you this morning. And um, when I saw what the message was, uh, it's part of our sermon series that we've been doing in the book of Acts called Those Jesus People. And, uh, and this morning, the message is a people of power, a people of power. And um, Joe ended off for us last week, well, uh, in his sermon last week, he mentioned the martyring of Stephen uh, as part of his sermon. And, and really, you can, almost, you can almost see the enemy gloating in that moment. Can't you just see it? Where he's like, yes, I have won. Stephen is down. The movement is going to end here. And, and really, the, the reality is, after Stephen's death, what happened? Christians were even more heavily persecuted than they were before. They started to scatter. And, and this funny thing happened, because while the Christians did start to scatter, what they did is, wherever they found themselves, they shared the truth of who Jesus was. So what the enemy meant for evil the Lord used for good, because the church spread further and faster than ever before after the martyring of Stephen. So here's Philip, and Philip is looking for a place to actually go and minister the gospel and to go and minister the truth of Jesus. And where does he go? He goes to Samaria of all places. Samaria is like, you know, that place over there that we don't want to go. And and for a bit of context, why is Samaria such a bad place to go? Well, the Jews and the Samaritans were known for despising each other. They didn't like each other very much. Think of the person you love the least in this world, and then times that by 50, and you've got the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. And, and here's a little bit of the history. Why? Why was there this bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans? Well, when Assyria conquered the northern tribes of Israel, uh, they came in to Samaria, and they shipped out most of the Jews. A few stayed behind, and what they did was they imported a whole bunch of foreigners. And the foreigners married the Jews. And really what the, the nation of Israel um, felt when they looked at the people of Samaria is they thought, these people are mongrels. They are mixed breeds. They've gone and they've taken just our Jewish faith, and they've gone and mixed it with foreigners, and, and as part of that, what happened is the people in Samaria started building their own temples, and they took parts of the Old Testament, and they just said, well, we're just going to discard those parts of the Old Testament. So, so then the Jews were like, okay, so not only are they mongrels, they're also heretics. And these are people we don't want to have any association with. And that's really funny, because when, uh, when I read this, I was just thinking, the most appropriate example we have for this in modern pop culture is from The Lion King. Uh, we all love The Lion King, the, the other, other great gospel. But, um, but in, in The Lion King, there's this moment where, you know, Simba's looking out over just all the kingdom and Mufasa's saying to him, you know, look at all the places that the light touches. That, that is the kingdom. 
And, uh, and Simba goes, what about that dark place over there? And, and Mufasa's like, you should never go there. That's Samaria. Okay, so, so really Philip has to choose where to go, to go and share the gospel. And he could choose. He could have gone anywhere. But where does he choose to go? He chooses to go to Samaria, the most despised people group that he could go to. And what do we learn from this? Well, the first thing that I think we can learn from it is just that the gospel had so completely changed Philip's heart. It had so completely wrecked the beliefs, the previous ideas he'd had as a devout Jew, that when he had this choice to make and he had to choose where to go, where does he go? He goes to the most broken. He goes to the people that need to hear the gospel most. The place that every other Jewish believer would avoid. He comes and he says, that is the place that I want to go. Because as a devout Jew, what uh, would have been his belief is that Samaritans were too hopeless, that they were too evil for salvation. And here he comes as a Jesus follower, and, and his whole framework has changed because he realizes that really we're all equally hopeless apart from the gospel. And that's the first thing he realizes. He realizes we're everyone, everyone is evil and lost apart from the gospel. No one is more hopeless or evil than anyone else. And what does that mean? Anyone can be saved by Jesus. So his whole framework, you just see this movement from those people can never have salvation to anyone can have salvation. And if I've got to choose where to go, I'm going to that Samaria place. I'm going to that place to go and share the gospel. So I wonder if we can all turn, whether it's you version, your Bibles, wherever it is you're reading from this morning, but turn to Acts 8, because that's where we're going to be reading from. And we're just going to read a short passage, and it's going to be Acts 8, verse 4 to verse 8. Acts 8, verse 4 to 8. So this is the story of Philip going. So it says, So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out loud with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. There was great joy in the city. There's really so much to unpack in such a short passage, but one of the clear things that stands out for me is that Philip came not only with word, not only with the good news of Jesus, but he came in power as well. We saw people being set free. We saw people being healed. There was a whole other dimension to his ministry than, than solely the word. So, so I want us to just start there. Um, Philip was proclaiming the Messiah. We see that in verse 5. And, and it says very specifically, proclaiming the Messiah, not morality or religion or a set of rules to live by. He comes and he preaches Jesus. And the reality is Christianity is Jesus. When we turn it into something else, it becomes fruitless. It becomes something that can't change lives. And so often we hear that. I, I, just recently, we got a testimony in from someone saying, you know what, they, they don't want fruitless word. They don't want something that doesn't tell them more about who Jesus is and what that means in their life. They want word that is Jesus, and it's got to point to him. So Philip starts proclaiming the Messiah, 
And really, there's just this incredible message that we have to share, isn't there? Think about it. If you think about the message, most of you who are sitting here this morning, your life has been radically altered by a meeting with Jesus. We have this message. And, and really, I was, I was just wondering this week as I was preparing, why is it we shy away from sharing the message and the hope that we have? I, as I sat thinking, I thought it's, it's almost as preposterous as you finding the cure for cancer. Imagine tomorrow you find the cure for cancer in your garden, this perfect little flower with a note that says this cures cancer, and, um, and you now have a decision to make. You've got to decide, am I going to share this with the world and eradicate cancer from the face of the earth, or am I going to keep it to myself? What does it do inside of you when I even suggest that you keep it to yourself? There's something that rises up in us, and we're going, definitely not. I want to see cancer eradicated from the face of the earth. So why, friends, if we do have the answer, if we do have the answer to almost every ill that faces people in society today, don't we want to share it? It should make us even more uncomfortable than not sharing the cure for cancer. And and sometimes I wonder, why does that thing make us so uncomfortable, but this thing doesn't make us uncomfortable Uh, The world doesn't need another self-help book, and they don't need another live-your-own-truth message. They need the truth. It's knowing Jesus and all that that means. So, So my question is, what drew Philip to Samaria? I believe it was the brokenness he knew existed there. He knew this was a godless people. He knew he had to go and love the unlovable. And I love his gumption. I love, yes, gumption is a word, okay? (laughs) Go look it up. But I love his gumption. I love his philosophy because his philosophy is exactly that. If I'm going to set people free anywhere, I'm going to the most God-forsaken place that I can think of. And as he goes, people are freed and they're brought into a loving relationship with Jesus. There's something beautiful about that story. But what made his ministry so powerful wasn't that he simply came in word. It was so much more than that. He, he wasn't just sharing the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants to do. He wasn't just sharing more religion or rules for better living. He wasn't rebuking people and telling them how horrible they were. What he was sharing and showing was what it looks like when lives are changed by Jesus. He was showing what it looks like when people have been delivered from physical and psychological and spiritual bondage through Jesus. And really, that's the power part that we're speaking about this morning. Can you imagine that uh, Philip comes to Samaria and he comes and, and the basis of his ministry is simply that. He's just saying to people, repent, you evil sinner, repent Jesus is the answer, and then he walks away and drops the mic and, uh, and leaves everyone in their brokenness and has no compassion on them while he delivers that word. Do you think his ministry would have been even an iota as powerful as it was when he comes, and he comes in word and he comes in power? There's something about those two things happening together that make a ministry really powerful. So often, friends, we minister only with word and no power, and we preach and we preach, but we do nothing in terms of showing compassion for broken people. 
And other times we want to move in power and we'll pray for people and we'll give them a quick fix. Oh, you don't know Jesus, but you're in pain. So I'm quickly going to pray the pain away and I'm going to make it better maybe for a week or I'm just going to be there and, and I'm going to do the compassion thing. But I'm never going to point you to Jesus, who is the answer to absolutely everything in your life. Can you guys see why there has to be word and power as we minister Jesus, as we share him with the people in our lives? We show them compassion, we show them love, but we point them to the truth. But we point them to the truth. I'm going to show my age. Who remembers Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Did anybody watch that show on TV? Um, It was this awesome, awesome show where people would come in and they would revamp these homes. And I don't know about you, but as as a younger person, I was slightly younger than I am today, uh, slightly less gray. But as I watched that show, I would often look at it and I'd go, oh, I would love if someone came and just created this awesome rec room in our basement and just came and painted out the whole place. And everything has buttons that make it open and close. And, And I thought, wow, that would be amazing. I want that house. My wife and I are blessed to have a home that we're busy paying off, and uh, we love our home. But can I tell you, now that we are homeowners, I don't want that at all, because I know what it means. I know what it means to have to upkeep and look after and put money into a place like that. The reality is, what they did sometimes is they'd go and follow up with people who'd gotten these brand new homes, so lavish, so wonderful but they didn't have the finances to actually look after it and keep it up, and eventually it ended up in disrepair. And guys, when we move in power and we pray for someone and there's a temporary fix and we're just just helping them along, but we never share the truth of Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're setting them up in these beautiful homes and we're going, you know what, we'll get rid of some of the problems with you and we'll walk the road. But But by not pointing them to the one who is the truth and the answer, what we're doing is we're setting them up for a fall. And I hope you can see the analogy with me and you can can hear that with me. But uh, let me just find my train of thought quickly. Um, What happens really is Philip comes with word and power. And the reason he comes with word and power is because that is the way it should be done. I'm going to share a passage with us quickly, and it's from Luke 4, and it's verse 31 to 44. And and it's just a couple of accounts in the life of Jesus and how he ministers and how he comes um, to minister to people. So uh, it should be on the screens. But essentially it says, Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and he went to the home of Simon. And now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. He bent over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. 
she got up at once and began to wait on them. And at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, friends, I think it's clear, even in Jesus' ministry, there's this this tandem thing happening, and we can see it over and over again, even in this one passage, that the word needed to be shared. The truth needed to be shared of who God is and, and of what Christ would come to do and of the kingdom of God and what it looks like when a little bit of heaven comes here. But also, Jesus had compassion on the people he saw around him. So both Philip, both Uh, Philip and Jesus, they recognized the physical misery that they saw people have, and they did what they could to change it. And they saw the spiritual bondage, and they worked to heal it. And as a result, people flocked to the gospel. There's something about this combination of word and power that makes people just run towards the good news that we have. Now, I don't want us to focus too much today on the miraculous side of the deeds, because I think there are many ways to have compassion on people today. And I believe that miracles still happen today, friends. We've seen them, we know they happen, we pray for them, and we trust God that they will happen. But what I want us to focus on is those two things, having compassion on people, moving in power, coming alongside them in whichever way we are able, but also sharing the truth of Jesus with them. Uh, Tim Keller actually wrote a little bit about this passage, and what he says is, if we hope to change this city, then the people of our city need to see the following two things when they look at the church. A church that has compassion on those who are physically suffering, and yes, will always pray for healing and believe that people can be miraculously healed, but they also need to see the changed lives of people who've been delivered from psychological and spiritual bondage through Jesus Christ. Both need to be seen, need to be heard. When we tell people about the hope that we have, what we need to tell them is, my life has been radically changed by who Jesus is. That was the beautiful thing about Philip. He wasn't going to go minister something that wasn't his own truth. He'd owned the reality of what Jesus came to do, and he lived it out in his ministry. And we see that in the fact that he heads to Samaria. But you'll note in that Acts 8 passage, as we were reading it, there's that last verse, um, and it's verse 8. And that verse reads, so there was great joy in the city. And really, Tim Keller goes on and he writes, that is the result. That's the result of living this way. The result of sharing Jesus in word and in power with people is that the city is elevated by that joy. The city is brought into a joyful space when we minister in this way. So that's a whole lot of stuff about word and power. But my question, friends, is how? How do we move in word and power? How do we become a people of power? And, and the first thing that I want to point to is we need to recognize where power comes from. 
I have no inherent power in and of myself. <laughs> I can try to save the world and I can preach to every single person I see and, and, and really I can do it all in my own strength. But until I recognize that I have no power in and of myself to see that breakthrough that I want to see, I won't have any breakthrough as I minister to people. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers, friends. Jason pulled me aside this morning and he was like, are you ready? Have you done this? Are you going to go and preach and do the thing? So I, I just turned to him and I said, Jason, unlike you, um, I know that it's not in my strength. I know it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do the work. And um, I just saw a very tall man shrink down to, <laughs> no, but he knows my sense of humor, so it's okay. But really, there's two sides to this coin of recognizing that I have no power in and of myself. And, and really, the first side is I never want to make the mistake of thinking that it's up to me to heal someone. When I pray for someone and I'm praying in power, if I think it's up to me, I'm going to fail probably every time. Because you know what? I, I know I don't have the power to heal anyone. And the corollary of that is if I believe that it's up to me, if it works, I take the credit. And we don't want to be those people either. But secondly, it's flippin' scary to step out and try and do the things we read the disciples did. And really, I don't want to be overwhelmed like that. I just want to step out in the freedom and the knowledge that God wants to use me. There's really this beautiful picture that nature draws. Who of you have been seeing the moon the last few nights? Has anyone looked up at the sky? Okay, it's been beautiful, and, and I am a moon lover. I love nature. Okay, that sounds terrible. Joe's laughing at me. Not that kind of moon, the moon in the sky. Okay, so, so really, uh, it's okay. I can laugh at myself too. Um, but I, I love nature. I love going out of the city to where it's not so bright and where I can see the moon and the stars in all of their glory, and and really, there's something about the moon and, and the picture that it draws that, that speaks to me so powerfully in this moment and reminds me every single time I look at it. And you know why it reminds me of this? is because the moon has no inherent light of its own. The moon doesn't produce light. It reflects the light of the sun. And really what's happening in that moment is something very ordinary this ball of rock that has no light, that is floating through the sky, becomes something extraordinary as the sun lights it. Those beautiful craters and volcanoes and, and the shapes and things that we see and this beautiful thing that we stare up at in the sky actually is just a dark rock. Friends, we are, unfortunately, the moon. <laughs> or fortunately. And the Holy Spirit is the sun. So, further on in Acts 8, we see Peter and John come and join Philip, and they start to pray for the people to receive the Holy Spirit. They lay hands on them to receive the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers each and every one of the people in Samaria who have come to Jesus to minister in the same way. It empowers them to live an empowered life. And the great news for you and me sitting here is even though we weren't in Samaria, that same Holy Spirit is available to us today. It empowers us, it guides us, it gifts us for the edifying, for the lifting up, for the building up of the body. And really, it's that same power that helps us to move out. 
to do this daunting thing that it feels like, to go out, to give a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to somebody who really needs encouragement, to pray for someone to be healed and believe that God can do it, to free people from bondage that they've been under for the longest time, to pray for comfort from those who have lost, and let's face it, a lot of people have lost in the past seasons. But really, it's the spirit that gives us the words, that gives us the unction to move into the messes of the lives of the people in our city and in our lives and give them hope. And the hope is Jesus. Okay. And it's that same spirit that helps us once we've ministered, once we've had the compassion, once we've come alongside people to say, you know what? The only reason I can minister to you this way, the only reason I could bring encouragement and relief is because I was empowered by Jesus to do so. So, really, friends, something beautiful happens when we recognize two inalienable truths. And these are the truths uh, I'm, I'm going to close with. But I went on a prophetic course at Doxideo, Brooklyn, once. And there was this incredible guy, Wally, and he just taught the course. And, and he said, if you can get two things under your belt then you can move in power and you can minister to people and you can pray and you can, you can do that whole thing. But the two truths you need to get under your belt is number one, that God loves you and he desires to use you. Sometimes the biggest barrier to us be, being able to minister to anybody is we don't believe that God loves us. Maybe there's too much baggage, or maybe there's some stuff in our past, or maybe there's, there's some yuckiness, and you just think, you know what, God can use that really, really awesome holy person, but he can't use me. And, and really, Wally comes and he goes, you know what, if you can just believe, if you can just know the truth, because it is the truth, that God loves you, and he wants to use you. That's step one. And he goes, you know what step two is? Believe that God loves the other person and wants to bless them through you. He says if we can believe those two things, we can move out in power and we can change the lives of people. But we've got to get over ourselves, friends, and we've got to get over the stuff that we're not bringing to Jesus because we need to really know in our hearts, you know what, God loves me and he wants to use me. And we need to get over our prejudices because look at Philip coming to Samaria. There was no one that was not worthy of salvation. And he comes and he goes, you know what? Everybody in the city needs to know Jesus. And I'm going to help them do that. And he believed that God had an encounter ready for each and every one of those people. So if I can believe those two things, I can step out with confidence. So my question this morning, friends, and we're going to do it in a little bit. But uh, So just get you guys ready emotionally. But what does it look like? to live in step with the Spirit for you? What does it look like to say this, this is our messed up city and uh, our broken people? And what does it look like to say, I know God, I know you love me and I know that you want to use me and I know you're empowering me through your Holy Spirit to go and move both in word and in power. And what does it look like to actually say, you know what, this week I'm going to be the person that prays for a word of encouragement that I know someone needs desperately, and I'm going to make it something specific? What does it look like to say, I'm going to pray for my colleague who has depression, or I'm going to pray for healing for that friend that really needs it desperately? And, 
And that as I minister, Lord, would you give me the courage to share the truth of who it is that empowers me, of who it is that gives me the hope that I have, and who it is that truly can heal. What does that look like for us? What does it look like for you? But already I hear the question in hearts, and I I need to just say this because I know some of you are already thinking it. What if breakthrough does not come? What if I pray for somebody and it just looks like nothing happened? And that's a real question because I think we've all been there. We've prayed for somebody and it just it felt like this thing didn't resolve or, or really um, what do I do when I've prayed earnestly for someone and they're not healed or things didn't work out? And, and the only answer that I have, friends, is we keep praying. We keep praying. I cannot allow the breakthroughs that I have not seen to keep myself or others from future breakthroughs. Because that's just the wrong way to live and to think. Because sometimes we do see physical healing. We've heard testimonies of people who've just had the most incredible encounters. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we pray for physical healing and people are healed in a different way, spiritually or or emotionally. And sometimes we've got to accept that we cannot see the breakthrough, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't come or that it has not come yet. And sometimes that needs to be our departure point. But one thing I'm never going to do, friends, is I'm never going to sit back and say, because once I prayed for someone and it didn't happen, I will never do that again. Because the minute I've done that, the enemy has won. The enemy has won. So I'm going to keep pressing in. I don't know about you, but I am. Um, And I'm going to keep moving in power. And you know why? Because God loves me. And he loves the person that I'm praying for, and he desires to minister to them in word and power. And I refuse to rob every future person I'll pray for of their breakthrough because of the one person in my past who I think never got theirs. And again, I think I don't know. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. And first, we're going to pray for people in this room. And, and we're going to mention, I'm just going to mention four different groups, and I'm going to ask you to be really brave. And if you're in one of those groups, I'm going to ask you to just stand. And once I've mentioned the four groups, um, I'm going to ask the people just around you to just stretch out a hand to you and pray for you, and, and I'm going to pray as well. But um, if we can just have the following four groups of people. If you are here today, and you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, never been filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have a desire to be filled with that Spirit today, then would you stand? That's group one. Group two, if you've got a real earnest desire in your heart to move in power, to minister to people through words of knowledge and wisdom, to pray for folks to be healed, but you've believed the lie that it's for other people, but God cannot use you in that way. Maybe you've just believed, you know, either that God can't love me, can't use me, but he uses other people. If that's you this morning, would you stand? Group three, if you lack the courage and conviction to share Jesus with people, maybe you know you should, and you know there's this part of your life, and you know the truth and the hope you have, but it's just very hard for you to share that truth with people in your life or with people around you. And you just want Jesus to give you the boldness today to tell his story and to share what he's done in your life. Then stand. And the last group is, if you're struggling to believe this morning that God does love you and that he wants to use you in the lives of others. Maybe it's just this feeling you have in you that he's just, 
deeply disappointed in you, or he doesn't really love you, or if you're struggling to shake off that lie from the enemy, then you can stand this morning as well. Okay, so those wanting to be filled with the Spirit, those wanting to move in power, those lacking the courage and conviction to share Jesus with people, and those struggling to believe that God loves them. Okay, wherever you see someone standing this morning, can I just ask the guys around them to just stretch out a hand and just minister to them this morning while I pray for us. Lord, we just want to come before you this morning and we just want to lift up the people that are standing in this room. And we want to ask God that if it's that they want to be filled with the Spirit this morning, that you would fill them, God, to overflowing. If they've never had that experience, God, if they've never been filled with the Spirit, would you come and bring just your Holy Spirit to come and reside within them, God? And, and I pray that, that really, Lord, for those that are feeling tired, we pray that you would just allow and, and bring about that Spirit within us to just come and rise up, God. Lord, for those who want to move in power and, and maybe they've tried it before, they've stepped out, they've, they've tried to move in power, they've tried to give a word and it hasn't worked or they've prayed for healing for someone and it just didn't work out and, and they've started to believe that's for other people but it's not for me. God, would you come and share the truth that you desire to use them powerfully in the lives of the people in their life? Would you come and break off just the lies, Lord, and just the, the upset, the trauma of maybe things, disappointments, things that didn't work out, times we've prayed for someone and it just didn't happen. And Lord, for those that lack the courage and conviction to share Jesus boldly with people, maybe it's just something has started to happen within us where we just don't feel the courage, we don't feel the freedom, or we're a bit scared. But would you come and fill each and every person with just a fresh unction? Would you come and fill them with so much boldness and joy for your word, God, that they want to go out and tell people about the hope that we have? And Lord, we want to pray for that fourth group. If you're struggling to believe that God loves you, if you're struggling to believe that God wants to use you in the lives of others, Whatever the root is of that lie, God, would you come and work in that place right now in Jesus' name? Would you come and remove that lie and replace it with your truth, God? The truth is you love each and every person in this room. You love us and you desire to use us. And Holy Spirit, would you come and confirm that truth in the hearts of your people this morning and confirm it powerfully? And I just want to pray, God, for everyone in this space. I want to pray, God, that you will just move in our hearts now and just reveal to us the truth that you desire to use us, that you desire to have us move in word and power, not one, not the other, but both. And would you use us powerfully in the coming week to do just that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.